Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be when a lawless heart Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me. This is Shane Claiborne, and we have this show on every week. Uh, some of you are listening to it on the radio. Some are tuning in to the recording, and I, I, I use it as an excuse to have conversations with friends and with people that I admire uh, their work and their lives, and we're often talking about faith and how faith compels us to do beautiful work in the world and redemptive work, healing work, holy work, um, and not just see our faith as a ticket into heaven, and far too many Christians have have talked more about life after death than life before death. And I, I kind of think both of them matter. Uh, and that's why the conversation we're going to have today is so beautiful, so important. So I've got as my guest today, Alex Marr, who's the author of this beautiful new book. And we we're actually doing an event together in Philadelphia uh, at the free library around this talking together. But I thought, all of you need to be able to experience that. Not all of you are going to get to Philly, uh, and Alex is going to be doing all kinds of other events around the country, but the book is 70 times 7, and the, the subtitle is A True Story of Murder and Mercy, and one of the, really the central figure is uh, someone who's a, a dear friend named Bill Pelkey that we're going to talk about together, uh, but Alex is the author of all kinds of stuff, wrote The Witches of America. It was a notable book and editor's pick in the New York Times. Her works appeared in um, Wired, New York Times, Guardian. I just heard today, The Wall Street Journal. Hallelujah, how about that? And uh, she's won all kinds of awards, uh, directed a feature-length uh, film called American Mystic, lives in New York, and it's just a wonderful person. Good to be with you, Alex. Thanks for having me, Shane. I'm happy to talk to you today. Yeah, me too. So, well, first, congrats. Uh, we're days away from the release of this new book, and it's it's so exciting to see it come into the world. Yeah, thank you so much. It's 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 nerve wracking. You know, I've worked on this book for uh, it ended up being five years of traveling around, talking to people. I mean, dozens of people trying to get this story right, and. Um, it's so it's really thrilling to be able to share it now finally. Yeah, so we're we're going to dive uh deep into it here. Um by the way, you know, for folks that don't know the name Bill Pelkey, that's I think part of the point is is we know a lot of names of the the you know Dr. Kings and the Gandhis and all these you know champions of nonviolence, the Dorothy Day and Rosa Parks and but there's a lot of folks that are just everyday heroes that you don't always know their name and a lot of folks know knew or know of Bill Pelkey, especially in the movement for. Uh, restorative justice and the abolition of the death penalty. But there's a lot of folks that don't uh, know who he is. Um, and he passed away 
uh, actually, I think it was shoveling snow, wasn't he, in, 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 at, at his home and uh, died of a heart attack uh, just a couple years ago. And um, I know your hope, Alex, was that uh, probably that you could be releasing this book with Bill. Um, but yes, um, it, yeah. it was a real it was, um, you know, Bill, Bill, by the time I was finishing up the book, Bill was already in his 70s and um it it was a it, but still it was a real shock when he died um never having had a chance to see his story in print um in in this book form in you know he he had a wonderful memoir of his own years ago but yeah this is a book that you know i i really worked hard to put his life's work into the context of the the larger fight against the death penalty but specifically against the death penalty for teenagers for juveniles um, because, uh, you know, Bill became an activist, as you know, you know, initially he was he was a Vietnam veteran, came home to Indiana and went back to working at the steel mill, was a steel mill worker for years and years and years, had no particular political consciousness. Um, and when his grandmother was killed by a 15 year old girl named Paula Cooper, he initially thought that the death sentence was an appropriate punishment. Mm -hmm. um, he felt that the prosecutor was right. This meant his grandmother's death had meaning if the punishment was as severe as possible. Um, but within a few months, he had a radical change of heart. And part of that was driven by his Christian faith. Part of that was also... Um, oddly enough, that he he was so feeling so lost in his personal life. He was um dealing with bankruptcy as well, just thinking, you know, what is the purpose of my life? You know, how many people have I disappointed in my life? And are we going to disappoint the memory of my grandmother now too by taking the life of this girl in her yeah. name? Right. Mm -hmm. So this was a major revelation for him. And suddenly you have this man who's on a mission, mm -hmm. you know, and and he described it as finally receiving the calling he'd always hoped he would in mm -hmm. life. You know, when he was a teenager, he was sort of a, a star Bible student. You know, he led the youth camp and, and whatnot. And uh, but, you know, he never felt that he would make a great pastor at the end of the day. He was missing some inner sense of purpose. And Ironically, this horrible event gave him that feeling of purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it ended up, you know, he ended up uh, becoming a voice that tied him with a much bigger movement within the death, you know, the movement against the death penalty, which is a, 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 a movement of victims' voices. Again, you know, the family members of victims speaking out against the death sentence. Yeah. And, and, you know, hands down, some of the most credible voices in the movement for alternatives to the death penalty are folks like Bill Pelkey and um, and so many others. I mean, you know, he ended up starting Journey of Hope, uh, the journey of hope from uh, murder to forgiveness, you know, and this 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 whole uh, over and over. Almost every time I was with him, he would say the hope for the world is love and compassion for all humanity. You know? Right. And, went to South Africa, went all over the world preaching that message, but it was a journey for him. And I think like, uh, you know, this title is kind of peculiar to some folks, 70 times seven, but it comes from scripture. I want you to talk about how you came up with the title because um, 
His grandmother, he called Nana, was a Sunday school teacher. The Bible was really important to Bill, and uh, and 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 this this title comes from that, right? From one of the sayings of Jesus, right? Absolutely. So you know, he came from a devout Baptist family, um, and at a certain point, he wasn't sure where he fit in. He knew he had faith, but he wasn't sure where he fit in in all of this. But he he still maintained a relationship. To God, he, he continued to read the Bible. He spoke to me about this passage, um, in in which basically one of the disciples asks Jesus, you know, essentially, how many times am I supposed to forgive someone who sins against me? You know, in in this kind of pushback moment, what seven times? You know, and uh, Jesus uh, responds, no, you know, seventy times seven, and 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 I think most people interpret that as if as if to say you should be prepared to forgive an infinite number of times you know this is this is not about math we're not counting you should be prepared to be a forgiving and merciful person towards anyone who wrongs you and um so th- that ended up taking on a huge amount of meaning for bill um in a very pointed pointed way when his grandmother was murdered um mm. He he had to really think about um, what role forgiveness might be able to play in his life. Did he want to carry around this anger against this young girl? Did he think that that kind of retribution was what his grandmother would have wanted? And the answer was, you know, for him, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, um, you know, until I heard about Bill's story, um, when I was looking at some case studies uh, of of different murders committed by young people um, over the course of American history, and there aren't that many, I encountered this story. And the forgiveness piece just absolutely grabbed me. I had never in my life then heard of a situation where someone was willing to forgive an individual who had killed their loved one. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought, you know, I want to reach out to this man. I've got to figure out how he got to that point. How did he make that decision? And um, that just drew me into, you know, years of work trying to put this book together. Um, and I don't, one of the things I really appreciated about Bill is that he was never someone who tried to portray his faith as an easy thing to live, mm-hmm. right? He didn't try to portray himself as some sort of flawless individual, um, you know, who who always had the moral high ground. You know, he I, yeah. I really loved that he 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 just he he told me all these great hilarious anecdotes about his personal struggles over the years, and it made it so much easier to relate to him as a human. Because mm. in some ways, to be frank, it feels a little superhuman to be able to forgive in an extreme situation like that. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a lot to grapple with. Yeah, yeah. And Bill taught me a whole lot about, you know, forgiveness uh, and, and 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 all the other families. You know, he began to gather within the journey of hope, uh, which is made up of both 
family members of murder victims and survivors like Suzanne Bossler was one of the core founders of that. She, her dad was a pastor who was murdered and she was also nearly killed in that crime and barely survived. And so these folks, I mean, they just became, came together along with families uh, of folks on death row and folks facing execution, folks that were wrongfully convicted, everybody that had been impacted by the death penalty, but the, the survivors, the murder victims, family members were were always um, at the heart of that because what's often said is we need the death penalty, you know, for justice for the victims, and um, and and it's certainly uh, the right question to say what about the victims. But Bill kind of opens this door to thinking, you know, violence is actually the problem, not the solution, and this mirrors the very thing that was happening. Like when we kill someone to try to show that killing is wrong, we're just reinforcing the the, the evil of violence. And yeah, it's, uh, you yeah. know, you bring up this great uh, connection to, to the, the, so every prosecutor has an agenda, right? And I think we have a system that's built in such a way where it is much easier for a prosecutor to pursue his agenda in any particular case by keeping the families on either side apart, right? When in reality, what Bill was doing is he was saying, you know, my family actually has a sense of humanity in common with the family of Paula Cooper. And so one of the themes of the book is his relationship with Paula. Um, they had a correspondence of hundreds and thousands of letters over yeah, the years. Say a little bit more about that. You know how that started. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this, Alex. I first heard about Bill Pelkey before we had done any vigils or marches or anything together. I first heard about it when Katie and I were, we saw the story on CNN where uh, she was being released and he was greeting her and trying to help her find a job. So I don't want to skip ahead, but talk about the power <laughs> of, you know, years of that. This wasn't just a moment. This was a process of forgiveness and of love and of honesty and accountability, but also leaving room for for mercy. So talk a little bit about the this relationship that developed between Bill and Paul Cooper, the young teenager oh. that took his his grandmother's life. Absolutely. So, I mean, just picture this. You have a man who's nearly 40. He's, um, you know, a steel mill worker. And then you have a 15 year old girl who's um, grew, growing up in an abusive home, run away. And now she's on death row. All right. How much do these people have in common? Nothing. This one act of violence. Right. And Bill just one day decided he was going to sit down and write a letter to this girl. And it started a correspondence that, you know, I tr I trace this in the book. At first, Paula is extremely suspicious of him. Her tone is angry. She is confused and overwhelmed by her situation. And she questions. You can feel her questioning. Is this man being sincere? Because it sounds to her a bit insane that the family member of her victim is writing her saying, I've forgiven you. God loves you. Right. And then over time, because he keeps coming back, he keeps writing to her, he keeps offering up friendship and respect. Mm. It becomes a real relationship. And then meanwhile, on the outside, Paula has an older sister, Rhonda, who spoke to me in depth for this book after decades of not really wanting to speak to the press, feeling unsafe in that scenario. And um, she eventually ends up having a relationship with Bill as well. And it was 
so extraordinary mm. to be able to trace the two sides um, who are so kept apart and the ways in which they found this common humanity. Um, so, I mean, the relationship between Paul and Bill is really the spine of the book because it's yeah. so extraordinary and it challenges us, I think, to think about where there's more room for empathy in our lives. Yeah, let's pause there because I want to get uh, into it a little bit more in depth. But for folks just turning uh, tuning into the show, um, this is Shane Claiborne. I'm hosting the show and talking with Alex Marr, whose book 70 Times 7 uh, is just being released. And it's a beautiful, as the subtitle says, it's, it's a true story of murder and mercy. Uh, it, it captures the worst of humanity and the best all at the same time and kind of raises a the question that all of this is inside of each of us is a uh, Martin Luther once said, we've all got a, a sinner and a saint that are at war within each of our souls. And every day we're choosing who we want to be or the young people, Alex might say, we have a, a villain and a, um, a superhero that are inside. <laughs> of us. But um, yeah. So like, this is, this is the story at the center of this new book of Alex's is, um, uh, the story of Bill Pelkey and his forgiveness of Paula Cooper, uh, the young 15-year-old who um, took his uh, grandmother's life. And and so they begin this friendship that then, you know, what I saw on CNN or whatever it was, was that that um, he's, he's greeting her as she's coming out of prison and trying to help find a job and just make sure that she... Um, I mean, that's not an easy thing when you go into prison, period, but especially when you're a teenager and then you've lived so much of your life there and get out. So I don't know if you want to say more of um, what that looked like. And and it's it's an imperfect story, right? This is like it's is the 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 pain is all we're we're all kind of healing from that. And certainly Paula is um, doing that inside of herself and Bill walking alongside of each other. So do you want to say any more about the relationship? I mean, this is like you said, the, the spine of your book. So, yeah, sure. It's, you know, what was interesting is because, um, that Paula's Paula's situation, once it became public that a teenage girl had been sentenced to death, you know, there wasn't, uh, cause I'm just rewinding for a second to give some context in Indiana, People were shocked by the crime, but they were not shocked initially by the death sentence for this mm. young girl. It took the press in Europe and their incredibly negative response to then kind of bounce back to the States and be picked up in coverage here. And it it, it created this another, another lens through which to look at this whole thing. So the case went all the way ultimately to the Vatican in terms of, you know, Pope John Paul II even advocated on Paula's behalf. So eventually she was, her sentence was commuted and she ended up serving a long time in prison. Um, her relationship with Bill continued during that time. Her sister was there for support. When she eventually got out, she actually had a network in place. She had a job given to her by one of her appellate attorneys um, mm. all the way up at the federal public defender's office in Indianapolis, which is kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she had not made peace with whatever demons she'd been wrestling with. And I think there were some mental health problems there from the very beginning. There were the mental health problems that come from long-term incarceration. Um, 
And, you know, eventually she chose to end her own life. For me, that that's not actually where I end the book, because for me, that is really not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, my what drove me throughout the process of researching and writing this book was the sense that in the aftermath of this terrible crime, this horrible tragedy, so many individuals chose to stand up and take action in a way that wasn't necessarily considered the norm or even wise by their colleagues, by their family and friends. So you have Bill choosing to forgive. You have um, a state senator, Arlene Rogers, who'd been a public Mm. school teacher in Gary, Indiana for ages. She was the very first person the day after uh, Paula's death sentence was handed down. She had a press conference and she said, this is ridiculous. We need to raise the minimum age for capital punishment in the state of Indiana. We should not be executing children. Right. right? Yeah. And she was she said to me, she said, I was I was black. I was a woman. I was a public school teacher. There was a chance no one was going to listen to me, but she took it. She took it all the way. Right. Yeah. Every step of the way, I found that there were people, you know, in in relation to this event who made these difficult choices. And ultimately, it gave me an enormous amount of hope. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and for some of them, it was because, you know, they were motivated like Bill by faith. Uh, one of uh, but then you have one of uh, Paula's appellate attorneys, Monica Foster, who's really fantastic. And she is uh, today the federal public defender of Indiana. Um, she describes herself as a flaming atheist, but she mm. has she has represented more people in extreme dire, Mm. desperate circumstances than almost anyone I have ever met. And I said, well, why do you fight for mercy, Monica? And she tells me, you know, Alex, I just don't know. It's just a thing I do. (laughs) So, So you know, this was so encouraging to me, you know, and and ultimately the book connects the dots between this particular case and the relationship between Paula and Bill and Paula's fate and the end of the death penalty for teenagers in this country, which was as recently as 2005. Um, I don't know, to me, to know that that was still on our books so recently was was just so shocking to grapple with. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it, it is important to remember that we've evolved even in the United States and how we think of the death penalty. I mean, we think of the, the young um, uh 14-year-old George Junius Stinney that was killed uh, in South Carolina, executed um, uh, like 70 years ago for the murder of two white girls that he was later, you know, um, shown not to be guilty of that. But I mean, he was 14 years old. He was like 90 pounds. And like, that's what we did. And we we executed people for all kinds of other things, you know, the Salem witch trials and we, you know, all kinds of things that were literally <laughs> yes. on, on our books that were murdered. So, and and I think Bill saw that this is this is a no-brainer. Like you don't you don't kill young people, especially folks that have had such a hard life. And and then but this then began to be a passion, right? This became his life vocation of uh traveling the, the world, literally other countries too, to try to abolish the death penalty, to um seek love and compassion for all humanity. <laughs> and uh, uh and 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 um 
but it, you know, that courage is contagious. And I think it made space for so many other people who had been wounded by violence and by murder, yet they um, used their pain to try to uh, prevent more murder through, you know, state-sponsored executions. And, and, uh, and not only, I mean, it wasn't just a passion. I mean, he, I think Bill like did civil disobedience and stuff, right? Began to like you went to jail, like uh, oh he did protesting the death penalty. He did. <laughs> you know, I got to know uh, his uh, his ex wife uh, Judy, uh, who he remained uh, great friends with, and and at one point while they were married, uh, he he said, you know, I think I'm going to get arrested today at the Supreme Court. <laughs> And she said, really, like, do we have to do this? But she knew she knew it didn't. She she accepted. OK, if that is what Bill feels is going to he has to do today, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, he did uh, what, you he know, did John he Lewis, when he when he said, uh, you know, we know that we're on the right side of history and that's why we can smile in our mug shots when we get arrested. You know, because <laughs> we know we know this is holy work. Um, that was and- certainly Bill's attitude, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, if folks uh, are just learning about Bill today, I want you to know that there's a there's an entire legacy of um, his own life's work and the web of relationships that he created. You can check out Journey, uh, Journey of Hope uh, and also Death Penalty Action, which is a group that I'm really active with. And we still have these vigils that Bill helped to start uh, the the week that the death penalty was both stopped by the Supreme Court and allowed to restart um, uh, executions is the same week at the end of June and 1st of July. So we hold a fast and vigil um, at, on the steps of the Supreme Court every year. Bill started those. In fact, that's the last place that I saw uh, Bill, Alex. So you know, I th- there's a there's a legacy of his life, and we could talk about him a lot more. We will at this event in Philly soon. But you know, you got any last? We got one minute left. Any last uh, thoughts as you as we celebrate your book, seventy times seven? Oh goodness! You know, I think I think for me, this this book, at the end of the day, just asks this question of you know, what is it that we accept as justice mm, mm. in each of our communities? So that and how that's just a much more complex and layered question than than sometimes our elected representatives want us to think. And, you know, we've got to think about our community and think about each other as fellow human beings and neighbors. And that's how we'll get the answer. That's such a good word. So what a what a gift this book is to the world. Seventy times seven. Check it out, y'all. And uh, follow Alex Marr. You can also uh, see more on social media. We'll be doing all kinds of little blurbs about it uh, at Red Letter Christians. So thanks for listening, y'all. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.